This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today's episode is about teaching children about money with financial therapist Jane Monica Jones. And it's my great delight to welcome Jane Monica Jones back to this podcast. Jane, you're Australia's leading financial therapist and trauma-informed financial well-being specialist, and you're the co-founder of the Financial Wellbeing Company and author of The Billionaire Buddha and the Money Mental Health Card series. And Jane, you have a passion for this sometimes challenging subject, and you work compassionately with clients and employees of organisations to repair this often problematic relationship people have with money. Welcome back. Thank so much. Thank you, Amanda. It's so lovely to be here and to be talking about this really interesting subject. So thank you for having me. Oh, I was so intrigued when I saw you were teaching about ch- children about money. And, and I think you've been doing some workshops. Yeah, so part of the financial wellbeing company, we actually run sort of quarterly uh, programs for people, you know, on key subjects like how to teach children about money. Often the way we got taught money is something that we don't want to pass on to our children. So (laughs) we want to learn better ways to kind of relate and explain and socialize the way we do money with our children. So, yeah, this is some of the things that we often look at is, yeah, how do we teach kids about money? What are some of the best tips? Oh, look, this is just so important. Um, And our other podcasts on money have been so popular, continue to be, you know, some of my most popular episodes. So there's a real need for people to educate their kids about money and as they're learning as adults and continuing to heal their relationship with money. So when might be the best time to start teaching children about money? Well, you can start really early in very simple ways. So Research shows, I I don't have the research on hand, but you can start as early as about three, yeah? So that can be just normalising things like banknotes and counting um, as a way to teach, very simple kind of way of relating or normalising money for us. So that can be about teaching number and even identifying. I mean, we don't often have coins anymore, but it can be something that you can pull out and and uh, pull out each individual coin or each particular note. And then kids get an understanding of it. Often, you know, in the earlier stages when kids are putting everything in their mouth, we might go, oh, no, 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 that's dirty, particularly around coins. Of course, yes, it is unsanitary. But even that little subconscious link is being laid down really early. So Mm -hmm. if we can kind of normalise coins and dollars really early, make it part of a, a natural Um, learning process it's you know we can start really you know about the age of three so and what about this world of plastic we live in um credit cards and so forth how do we yeah so a way that that could be done in play which could be around cards you know even if you they set up shop or um some sort of you know monopoly money sort of experience Uh, monopoly is a really great way for kids to learn about money a little bit a bit later on but this idea that you can have like a card of sort even a business card as a way of trading Mm -hmm. um, you know so that if, if we set up shop 
that often kids love to do where they've got a trolley or they've got something they're selling something business cards old business cards or something even shells or beans or all that sort of stuff as a way of transacting is a really simple way uh, for people for kids to understand ah yeah okay so as I pass over an orange I get a, a number of beans or something like that so it can be a really fun and interactive way to understand the transactional nature of money absolutely what a simple lovely way of teaching exchange of energy something for something else yeah, that's it. And that it doesn't even have to be money. It can be as simple as beans or nuts or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I guess exchange of chores around the house for something, a tokenism of something, a toy or something is another way of teaching that exchange. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I was re- recently interviewed by um, a journalist who was talking around, she had come home to her uh, her parents' place who were looking after her son and the, the saw that her son was picking up all these toys. Mm. And the mother, the grandmother, ended up ta- handing over a $10 note. And this prompted her to kind of want to get a little bit curious about how much is too much around yeah. things like pocket money. And it's an interesting thing. I, I think it is around your personal values. Mm. Um but it's about understanding that there are proportions and, you know, that maybe p- handing over $10 for picking up a couple of toys, which, you know, shocked this journalist, yes. I, I'm kind of with her, yeah. um, is, you know, it's just about understanding scale in a way. And that's a, an important thing to teach children as well, yeah. that if we're passing over $20 for a very small task, mm. uh, that might be, you know, setting up some challenging things in the future. So it's about understanding, as you said, what's the right measurement. And this mm. can be played with uh, in, depending on your own values uh, with your own children, you know. And the other thing, it also opens up, do, do we get pocket money without doing chores? Again, that's a different value. Uh, it can set up this idea that maybe that if you give money uh, openly, that, yeah, that maybe life is a little bit more benevolent or if I have to do it to work in task, is it through a lot of efforting? So it can be the different scale. Often one of the pieces I, I work with with working with clients is, is that, somehow laid down within me is effort is you know to get money is really hard Mm. and and that can be something that we need to de-untangle somehow um and so again does that come in childhood It, it may just you know that everything is really hard just to get a little bit is hard work Mm. and if we're so it's it's a bit of a dance depending on on your family structure and family you know family setup so uh, yeah, it's a bit of a dance and your and your values, certainly. Yeah, and constantly shifting, I imagine, because age continues to shift. Um, and then gender and, and the different roles in the family, you know, the eldest and the youngest and what's appropriate and who might miss out and unequal parenting and all of that. <laughs> all of that, exactly. <laughs> fatigue, general, yes. you know, childhood fatigue, <laughs> child-rearing fatigue. Yes. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, that, that's true. I mean, probably older siblings have a harder time, um, a harder, harder level of lessons, I suppose, mm-hmm. 
generally, uh, and that would certainly, you know, show up in money relationships as well. So, yeah, it, I mean, for me, it's about giving as many tools as possible to parents uh, so that they can get some good grounding rather than, you know, maybe lack of anything that they may have brought up with for themselves. So, mm. yeah, yeah. And, and retraining themselves and healing themselves as they they pass on better skills to their kids than they might have received. So what are some of the important elements to teach children about money? Yeah, so probably the easiest way to actually kind of normalise it or socialise it in is to do it in real life, yeah? Mm. So that not, rather than making it, you know, teaching kids about millions of dollars, to actually make it very real. It can be uh, in the supermarket. It can be at the service station. It can be as we're getting ice cream. So just to make it very real life uh, so that it becomes a really living example, essentially, mm -hmm. that can be, you know, taken on a little bit easier than some, some hypothetical something. Some of the things that we can really teach kids is about needs versus wants. Yeah. yeah. So that's a really, I mean, that's foundation for anyone, but it's if we can start that with kids and children, that's a really great foundation. And understanding that your ice cream is not a need, it's a want. <laughs> and it's only on special occasions, particularly at the moment where we've got the cost of living crisis. That might be something that we need to really shore up with our children is to identify it's not a need. Broccoli and dinner tonight is a need. Mm. Ice cream and that extra, you know, toy is a want and that there is limitations around that. Yeah. In that, we need to keep teach limitations and boundaries, financial boundaries. So that means, yeah, we need to say, okay, there is a, a figure, to say, let's say a $5 note, and there is a limit on how much we can teach, uh, we can buy with this amount of money. Yep. This is, this. I think teaching these limitations and the boundaries around money is a really great lesson mm. because not only do we know that it's limited resources, but we have limited limitation in many things. So there is this concept called childhood omnipotence. It's this idea that once we stop being attached to our caregiver as a one and, you know, zero to one and two-year-old, and then we start individuating and we start to realise that, oh, wow, I'm not actually my mother I'm at or my caregiver, I'm actually my own being. Yeah. And in this place, it was researched by a woman called Margaret Mailer around, I think, the 50s and the 60s. Supposedly, we have this experience of omnipotence, of all powerfulness. Wow, wow I'm alive and I'm in individuated. Yes. Now, that is a very euphoric experience of which I think we're probably trying to seek that often as we grow up, even into adulthood. But what the truth is, is that we are not all powerful and unlimited, unlimited. We are very limited. We have limited energy. We have limited time. We have limited, limited capacity. And this thing, particularly around money, we have limits around money. Most of us do. Yeah. yeah? And to understand that we have limits is a really good uh, reality foundational piece for all humans yeah. yeah we often we often get very childlike even as adults when we feel limited but actually there's a maturity in understanding we have limits yeah so 
getting it's I mean sure we might pop it, be popping the bubble on our children but it actually is a form of groundedness for me it's about yeah it's about a bit of sobriety or a bit of kind of realism that that can set us up very well I think into adulthood oh and I it's agree. a good piece around to, you know money in that way yeah. yeah it's actually empowering to to be able to live within your limits and you know to be able to reduce your spending because of limitations or extra limitations is is a very empowering life skill to know you can do that Yes, that's right. And it also, it it's less suffering, I suppose, on your psyche. You know, if you're kind of in that sort of fantasy place or, or oh, why not? It, it can actually go, okay, you know, I have limits. This is where I'm at at the moment. It's a big, a lovely place to be able to take stock. Yep. And if we can give that gift to our kids quite early about, look, you know, with, without it making it terrible, without it being punishing, yeah. but to say, actually, there's limits, you know, mom has limits, you've got limits, yep. um, we've got limits. It's just the way it is. And it can be a really great teaching point for, for children to set them up very well in the future. Yeah, that budgeting can start right from the beginning when, you know, I was in a service station the other day and I saw a little boy grab a some food and his mother went off and said you're not going to eat it you're not going to eat it he was adamant and she said well you know she got quite angry but it was the the argument was well if you're going to if I'm going to buy it you have to eat it and if not I'm going to be very angry with you so is that too punishing look I think probably in the moment I wouldn't want to judge any parent <laughs> in that way absolutely but it's also you can say okay but mum's only got a limit here you yeah. know I have a limit we've got dinner coming later we had I hadn't expected for this mm. this uh, for this expense right now, and that just to show I mean I think there is that balance that we often think oh I don't want uh, my child to feel these adult decisions. Well, let me tell you, kids feel it. They feel mm. it in our stress. They feel it in our worry. They feel it in that angry voice. Mm. We can't actually. It's a bit of a misnomer. I, I'm, you know, as a psychologist, you would know that that it's a bit of a misnomer that we can't really protect our children. We can, we can, but but as far as our uh, our, our well-being, that is very present in our relating with our kids constantly. Yeah. So we have to express to them, say we have a limit on how much we can be spending on extra chips and lollies. And this is, I think, you know, it's a good kind of key for, for children to get that so that then we're not getting into that argument later mm. around, you know, hey, and getting angry that, well, look, I told you, yeah, you just go, we've got a limit, you know, I can't mm. keep buying you endless amounts of toys. I can't keep buying you endless amount of lollies. It's just, there's a limit to how much mum's got, mom, dad's got, you know. Yeah, and that's right. And, and using the adult shopping um, habits to demonstrate, you know, I'm buying a cheaper vegetable because that one's too expensive for us today. And so this is the same way, you know, we only have a certain amount of money for the shopping today. So you saw me buy cheaper vegetables and that's the money we've got. Yeah, it is. It's almost speaking to the kids like adults. I mean, the more that we can really relate to them equally is the more that they really understand rather than some sort of punitive mm. um, experience. It's that old adage, show, don't tell in many cases, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And is that one of the ways that you would recommend that children learn about money, that modelling? 
that in effect is actually something bigger that we need to illustrate. And that is, is that um, don't tell actually model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it might be all very well that we're telling them, you know, you need to budget, you need to understand things over needs versus wants yet you come, we come home and we're loaded up with a whole lot of shopping bags. Uh, that's going to show a very different message yeah. or, you know, the stress of looking at a credit card, again, that that experience is going to be very much shown inside of the family structure or felt uh, with our kids. So actually doing is more important than t than than telling. Yeah. Um, so if we're saying, okay, budget, budget, budget to our kids yet, you know, the parents are fighting over how much is being racked on the credit card in shopping and shoes and things like that, yeah. then we're sending mixed signals. Yeah. Uh, often what I see with clients is uh, the, particularly that that people that overspend, there was a really uh, interesting dynamic that happened with their own parents yeah. around seeing their mother maybe being unhealthy, you know, certainly in, in this generation, but, you know, unhappy somehow, but would be very happy when she went out and bought a whole lot of shoes. And then we start to build this idea that the only time I can have happiness is when I start shopping. That mm. gets laid down as an early socialisation experience, you know, before we even have any free will uh, as an adult. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's really important is, is that we model exactly the experience that we want our children to have around money uh, because actually, you know, our, our words will end up being quite hollow if if we're, we're doing something very different of which they will see, you know. So consistency is really important, um, act as you Yeah, that's it. I mean, consistency in what is being said in or experienced, you mm. know, um, that it is okay I'm sitting to a budget and this is what we're doing and we're doing it week on week you know that natural consistent mm. modeling is a really great thing to uh, yeah it being a little bit more erratic or, or you know this this thing spending and um, you know it takes us back to that uh, you, we've just broken the limitations that we want to start putting down for our kids mm. when we start you know not sticking to our own budgets uh, as adults when we have kids around. Yeah, and the whole idea, the whole area of pleasure and money and fun and money and uh, being happy and money, all the emotional sort of uh, things that can be attached to money, whether you're spending it or earning it. Yeah, and look, and I think that one gets laid down pretty early, of course, because every time, you know, we go to the to the shopping mall there's like sweets um and that this this thing called money is that is the tool that actually gets that thing from the shelf into my mouth or into my you know toy um mm. box so it is and you know i think we've even spoken on it before in these calls is is that you know we want connection more than anything and then often we think that if I just have this money, then that's going to give me that pain relief or it's going to give me that thing that's, say, missing in me that is not going to be filled by money. And the, mostly that is connection. And when we have racked up our credit cards to such an extent and we have children, you know, by buying stuff for our kids yeah. and then that's putting extra pressure on us, then there's not much connection there. There's more going off to work. There's more absent 
uh, lack of, you know, lack of presence around our children because we're in a state of worry. Mm. Kids don't, kids want our connection. They want our presence. Yep. They don't need another toy. They don't need another experience. They just want us to be, you know, snuggling up to them and being present. That's all mm. they really need. And that doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, again, that's setting us, our kids up for a healthier uh, well-being, psychological and behavioural well-being later on when when we have a lot more attunement with our parents, we have a lot more presence with our parents than having a whole lot of stuff, mm. you know, that, that takes our parents away, you know. And I, I guess that sort of speaks to peer pressure as well, that a lot of parents who are time poor will be just paying and buying devices for kids that other kids won't necessarily have and may see that you know it's you know that they may be feeling that they're missing out yeah and and look that I mean that's that's challenging if you know particularly when we can't afford it that we're yeah keeping up with the Joneses um but in the long run that connection with our child is far more important than the device I mean we we know it we're we're coming into a um you know, the mental health problems of youths that have been stuck on devices mm. is is going to be hitting massive proportions in the next couple of years, you know. Um, it may be an easy distraction for our kids in the short term uh, to so that we can get on and do our very busy lives as adults, but in the long term it, it's going to really set us up um, set our kids up with, without having the the great you know psychological foundations that they need to have, which is about relating, being able to be present, being able to be bored, in some yes. level, you know. So yeah, kids kids need boredom. So that, that's the place between that gives them creativity, that gives them um, initiative. You know, you give you're constantly distracting kids by innumerable amount of toys and stuff. It limits their creativity. It lives their, limits their initiativeness and innovation. Uh, having that place in between is what actually makes us curious, you know. Yeah. And parents can feel really confident knowing that in giving them space to develop soft skills, which you don't develop on devices, they are really setting their kids up for success as adults because it's the soft skills that kids are developing where they're in charge of any devices as well rather than the device being in charge of them. We know they're going to be the successful adults in the future. That's what's going to be employed, the soft skill group. And that's all confidence. That's all being able to engage, you know, socially engage. That's all about levels of empowerment, levels of risk as well. You know, of course, the devices can potentially teach us that level of risk. But jumping over a pond or jumping down from the monkey bars is another great way of, you know, of teaching how, um, you know, kids to take levels of risk, you know, with their body, not just with their with their fingertips, essentially. Absolutely. And you're really now also talking towards the, the research we have, which is that when kids are having fun, when adults are having fun, we're all learning a lot more and a lot faster and we're retaining what we're learning. So even in earning money, I think, you know, for kids to find that a fun as well as practical and teaching and learning experience. I remember my mother and I used to go to this local bookshop and I remember, acutely remember standing with her at the at the checkout with the, the lady who owned the shop and 
they decided they were talking that, you know, I could draw and maybe I could draw some little gift card tickets for, for when people bought books for presents. And so I mm. duly went home and created these little gift tickets and we took them up to the shop and they were much admired. And, and for at least a year or so, maybe two years, I sold these little tickets at the, the local bookshop. And, and I completely forgot about it. I must have been all of 11 at the time, maybe 10 even. And then recently, one of my peer psychologists who I had grown up with as a family friend who was a bit younger than me said on Facebook, oh, those tickets that you used to draw and sell, I was so inspired. I was so was in, so impressed. And I'd completely forgotten. So, But it was great fun because family members and friends like her parents bought them all. Um, and it was something that was, you know, widely um, sort of distributed and known about. So... I think that yeah. started my empowerment as a kid in being able to have fun and earn money and be a bit independent. Yeah, and look, that's a real uh, gift that you you know you experience because a lot of people, particularly like you know, I have a lot of clients who are sort of st- setting out or want to set out in their own business, and the idea to take that step, which you did very early, that something the marketplace in a way accepted you. Yeah. You know, there's that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you took a risk and you saw that the market wanted it Mm. and that is a really great esteem builder you know Mm. it's like when I take a little when I can be one be creative when I take initiative two when I actually implement and create three then I can pay my way a, a little bit you know so that's a really lovely lesson in being able to have that entrepreneurial spirit or have that kind of go getedness, which is a really great skill for kids to get you know that yep you put yourself out there and something may come for it so mm. gorgeous uh, lesson I think you know that's we're kind of ripping kids off when we stick the device or the extra toy in front of them rather than giving them their their breadth of who they are they are in their creativity and their curiosity um, in a way and and that's what we need we want I mean you know as things change so much as adults and certainly in our life we want highly creative highly curious children yeah uh, that's going to serve them it's going to serve not just their work but it's also going to serve their mental health as well and um, and if we're we're you know, putting a device that's already kind of slightly pre-made in front of them, um, the, the experience is pre-made, then, you know, we're, we're cutting them off you know, yeah. going forward. So, yeah, it's a good, great lesson that you got so early in life to yeah. take a risk. Yeah, I'm sure parents can encourage their kids in the way my mother did with, you know, seeing opportunities like that and other opportunities where it's still safe and it's still age appropriate and, yeah, great opportunities. So, Beyond money, what are the foundations we're trying to teach children here? Yeah. So some of the things are like those needs versus wants, the limitation and boundaries. We want to say, okay, there is a limitation. But just back to what you were saying before, I thought we're also teaching them how to have social engagement. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that if we're 
going through the supermarket with our kids and in socially engaging that actually the the the, the experience of going and shopping can be fun mm. yeah it's a teaching moment it's a way that we're relating to our children rather than you know not relating to them yes. and so actually immersing them in this sort of commercial way yep. can be a way that we're actually engaging with our kids mm -hmm. rather than it's like, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm too busy, can't be done. Actually, no, scoop them up in there. Yes. Get them sitting in front of your computer and, and you know, having a look at an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. They're going to be loving that. I mean, that's, that's one of those anecdotal times where my dad, you know, had used to have me hang around when he worked on the car you know I mean those are those moments people have with their parents that they just love yeah. because they were there and they were present and they were doing something so in a way if we can uh, not exclude but include our children more in our our experience as adults I mean most you know uh, indigenous tribes they're, they're part of all of the of the family life. And somehow I think we've actually said, you know what, kids play is a different sort of thing. No, bring them, bring them deeply into an adult experience, you know, in what's pro appropriate. Uh, it then it means that they're part of the, they're getting more social engagement in this way mm. and learning how to be more in relation, relation uh, with parents, with adults, with with you know the learning that that kids so long for absolutely we may even have fewer temper tantrums in the supermarkets if parents really make it a learning experience yeah absolutely you know there's the thing too I mean once they get a bit older we can create that budget so it could be you know one of the first moments where we start introducing a pocket money yeah. it's like okay you know so it could be that here you go, you got your $5 and you're going to get the next time you're going to get this is probably going to be next Sunday. And just to go and start teaching them about ice cream or that little, you know, doodad toy or whatever like that so that they get a concept of being able to build their own discernment around the, around the numbers. Mm -hmm. So that's another little sort of relatable moment that you can teach kids about when creating a budget. And I think it's it's interesting as to when you teach them delayed gratification. Um, we know that teenagers need to learn that, but when when's too young maybe to to start that? Look, I think isn't there tests around four or five where they do the juju berries or something like some sort of lollies to see which child you know yeah. is going to delay gratification and which <laughs> is not. Look, if we can teach our kids that as early as possible. Um, you know, again, that sets us up. I mean, I'm unsure about whether there are certain, you know, maybe levels of dopamine in, in certain individuals that may make it more challenging for, for others. But just to understand that delayed gratification is a thing and that, again, you know, sets, sets people up for when they're older in life that, yeah, you know, are you able to delay that impulse, that, that dopamine rush? That might flood you as you approach shops. Um, can we can we delay that a little bit? You know, ride the tide in a way. Uh, if we can teach kids that a lot better, then we're we're setting them up for that capacity to save, to not overspend, 
um, you know, not to impulse buy, all that sort of stuff. So to notice what's happening in us, oh, it might be that kind of itchy feeling. What's happening inside of you is, you know, we go into there, oh, I get that really itchy feeling. Okay, you're allowed to kind of just be with that a little bit, you know. Yes. It's a level of, of mindfulness or awareness that we could potentially be teaching our kids as well. So as early as possible. And and I, I guess learning about our kids and what motivates them, because I, I can imagine it's, because it is sort of the same in my experience for adults that it must be for kids as well that for some we're motivated by seeing how much money we're saving and for others it's how much money we're putting towards a goal and attaining that goal that we might be saving up for a skateboard or something so you know is that something you can identify in your child pretty early on yes I think so I mean you can kind of get a tendency of what what you know what sort of how a tendency of what your child is like, you know. I mean, they could, depending, probably easiest um, indicator is uh, anger or, you know, frustration that the child might have, you know, I want it now. And if you put up a barrier around it, that they may be highly reactive around it. Right. Or other, you know, kids can actually be a little bit more self-modulated or modifying. Um, so that can be an indicator and it could be, we could say, I don't know, I don't know the research, but it could say that there might be certain neurochemicals that can make them a bit more reactive than, say, other children. Uh, so it does. I mean, you know, we, we in every household with multiple children, there is, it's a different, um, each child has a different level of behaviour or behaviour modification or modulation. So it's going to depend, you know, just because what you taught the eldest child, it may not be the the next one down or the, the one after that yep. uh you know you're going to have to have a different approach for each child where we started this conversation often the harder teaching happens in the beginning and then through parental fatigue understandably mm-hmm. it softens up at the end you know um for the younger child children maybe they're not getting such as the hard lessons that the older ones did but again, it's about, you know, setting kids up. You know, we, it's a big responsibility to have kids. And, and it's not just their childhood we're setting them up for. We're certainly setting them up for in their adulthood. And to give these things like boundaries and limitation and, you know, delayed um, gratification, it, you know, it's going to serve for a very financially well adult if we can, we can help them at this thing. And money's a really great uh uh, instrument for this you know it actually is a really great instrument it's very real it's very tangible it's very experiential it's a great way to teach these foundational um, experiences that we need to have as adults so it's a well, great tool in that way it is and and look here's a another sort of curly question I guess that um, is often something that um, teenagers in particular have to grapple with when they see how unfortunate so many children are financially and so many families are in the world. How do you help them understand this and, you know, be able to accept and deal with this? Yeah, look, I think that's an interesting thing. With, you know, it's talking about gratitudes because often our, our kids can be really ungrateful, you know. I've seen it time and time again. And, look, I don't have a hard and fast one. You know, I've often been asked that, how can I teach my kids to be more grateful? Uh 
you know, in my own history, it was about my parents, you know, my certainly my father from a religious or Catholic background, you know, he was very much into the social justice and social contribution that was about, you know, donating to his church at that time, you know, so it was very real. Uh, and, and I think, you know, any sort of contribution that we give to our community can often give that value-based uh, teaching you know that there is people that are that are suffering that are not as well off as we are again that can be modeled you know yeah. if we're as adults actually contributing to our communities then it becomes very modeled mm. uh, and understood you know I have a level of social justice because of my father you know I'm not I'm certainly not as religious as he is but or was but uh, that, that element of, you know, caring for others and seeing that that was important was something that my father and my, my parents really instilled in us. So that's something that we can, uh, yeah, it's a kind of good foundation for humanity and yeah. uh, can be taught early uh, or it can be socialised into the, the, the family experience. But it, it could be an explicit conversation, you know. It's about gratitude that, you know, it's about, again, that thing that we can speak to our kids as kids, as as real people. You yeah. know, we have limits. And, 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 it, and it just wipes me out every time you hammer me for more money, you know. Again, it can be done in when we're not activated, when we're not triggered, when we're not angry, but actually to come back when we are a little bit more grounded, a little bit happier and say, you know what, we're going, what's going through a cost of living crisis at the moment, we're going to be really pulling things in. So if we can start doing those kind of conversations with our teenage kids or, or you know, a little bit younger, when we're not activated, when we're not triggered and we're not in an agitated state, then they can really get it, you know, actually have the hard conversation when when you're a bit more grounded and, and a bit more centred is a good teaching tool to know. And, yeah, and for those who are going through trauma themselves um, of all kinds, you know, to be able to explain when they can to their kids what's going on and, and in an age-appropriate way, of course. I mean, even when adults and parents go through trauma and financial hardship and loss to be able to model that you get through it you seek help you find the help you need you get that help and you get through it the best way you can I guess is is the only thing to be modeled there um, as best as possible that yes there's upset and you don't have to hide that from kids because kids see that's real life and you're mm. not happy all the time and it's actually helpful for kids to learn that that you know despite being upset parents got on with things yeah that's true and I think it's that thing where if when we're a little bit more grounded or a little bit as adults more settled and we can talk and teach from that place mm. then it doesn't become so reactive kids are more likely going to kind of go oh right so mum's already just had that conversation with me so I shouldn't be reaching out so much you know the thing is is that it's normal as adults that we're often in that place of just reaction, 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 yeah. because we've got so much on our plate. Mm. The but often it's those moments when we are connecting and grounded with our kids and really being able to relate is the time we, we, we need to use teaching moments. Yeah. Um, and those are at the moment for a lot of people, it should be there's a thing called the cost of living crisis so that when you're driving them to school and they can hear the radio, they can hear it. Ah, cost of living crisis. 
I mean, it's really interesting. My, I have some younger nieces, and I remember they knew who Donald Trump was even before, you know, that they were told about it. And they were in primary school because they're hearing it on the radio. Yeah. So kids are going to be hearing the cost of living crisis. They're going to hear interest rates rise on houses. It all goes in, you know. So it's certainly, if unless you're going to start turning turning off the radio, dropping the kids to school, they're going to hear this stuff. So normalise it for them. Yeah, the, what they're talking about here is the cost of living crisis, which means things are more expensive. So the things in our supermarket are now more expensive, even our, even the lollies, even the toys. Yeah, that's just what it is. It doesn't have to be anything further than that. You just explain it, leave it for that moment. So the next time they go back into the supermarket, ah, oh, that's kind of ringing in their head. So, yeah, it doesn't have to, you know, taking those little sort of nugget moments where opportune uh, can often set yourself up so you're not having to be at the at the um, counter having to have that barrage at that moment. Yes, that's so important that, yeah, the background chats are happening so that by the time you get to the confronting moments of at the counter that it makes sense that you link it with a previous conversation and ongoing conversations. Yeah, that's right, exactly, yeah. Well, this has been so important and so helpful for so many parents, Jane. I do ask all my guests, what makes you psyched for life? What makes me psyched is a level of hope. I deal with a lot of trauma. My clients that have experienced trauma, whether it's been early developmental trauma or later in life and how that affects our our financial well-being. And you know what I know from this area and the particular way that I work in trauma is it's very hopeful. There's a real hopeful model that mm -hmm. we can actually, you know, regulate our nervous system, that we don't get triggered as much as we did in the past and then feel more grounded and more hopeful for our future. And the way we are with our money can change. It absolutely does. Time and time again, people go, you know what, as I'm less triggered from things that were beyond my control yeah. and were part of my past, and now that I come back to be in this moment, I, I, I have more hope for myself. Mm. So, yeah, it's the hopefulness that we can change. That's what makes me psyched, I think. We can. There's, there's nothing, you know, physiologically, uh, neurologically, uh, neuropsychologically, we can change. And and uh, I think, you know, so much of the research that's happening now around psychology and well-being, we're plastic, we can change. Um, that's what certainly makes me very, very help, hopeful. Wonderful. And for that change, anyone can seek Jane Monica Jones, who is the leading financial therapist in Australia and trauma-informed financial well-being specialist and for her books and Money Mental Health Card series um, to speak at an event and to find any of these resources, you can go to Jane Monica Jones' website, which is janemonicajones.com as well as I um, get you to go over to capability.com that's capability ending in an e which is actually financial well-being on demand so I have now created a whole uh, learning management system that is filled with 100 hours of learning around financial well-being and psychology and financial literacy so you can check out capability.com that's capability ending in an e 
Otherwise, find it, uh, go back to jmonicajones.com and you can find a link through there. But yeah, I'm all about making accessibility to financial literacy and financial well-being very possible uh, at a very cheap price so that it's, you know, that it's not uh, limited to anyone. Plus, you know, you can even get your organization to pay for the subscriptions uh, to capability as well. So yeah, we're trying to really make uh, financial literacy and financial well-being accessible to as many people as possible. Oh, thank you so much, Jane Monica Jones, for all these resources, invaluable to Australians and beyond. Yeah. Thank you again, Jane Monica Jones, for such wonderful information, such a fascinating podcast, and I'm sure it's going to help so many parents. Great. Thanks, Amanda, for having me once again. Lovely to be here. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Plus, don't forget you can access all of the resources mentioned in today's podcast via the show notes. Is there a pressing issue or topic you'd like me to discuss? Head to my Instagram at dramandaferguson and send me a DM. I love hearing from my listeners. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 33497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.